Monday the 16th of December and today we're going to find out all about how we prioritise areas of research for the profession. So we find ourselves in a cosy office at RCSLT's HQ with Amit Kulkarni. Hello Amit. Hello. And uh, he's our research and development manager and Katie Chad. Hello. Hello. Um, our research officer. So welcome both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. What's the most recent area that the RCSLT has looked at for research priority setting? So it's Developmental Language Disorder, or DLD. Okay, that's great, thank you. And what process did you use to get to that? So we use a, a research priority setting partnership approach. So research priority, priority setting partnerships have been a significant development in the research landscape in the UK over the past sort of 10, 15 years. And they're, they're kind of very closely related to the movement for evidence-based practice. The research priority setting bit is self-explanatory. It stems from the fact that there are lots and lots of things we need to understand better in health, in education, social care. And given this is the case, there's real value in prioritising which areas research is most urgently required in. Research priority setting partnerships were born out of, of other research which suggested there's, there's often this mismatch between the research priorities of academics, of, of clinicians and the people using health services. So any prioritisation process worth its salt needs to, needs to be careful really to include all the views of all these key stakeholders and, and this requires that partnership approach. Amit, I wonder why, uh, why did the RCSLT take on the challenge? Well, the aim of research priority setting exercises are to avoid waste in research and to channel energies into areas that matter most to everyone. The, the RCSLT took on this challenge of, of running a series of research priority setting exercises because of these two things. So we know many, many questions remain unanswered in, in SLT and research funding and capacity is finite. So what exactly are these areas that we need to know most about? Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read the RCSLT's mission statement here, which is to enable better lives for people with communication and swallowing needs. And... Really, we can only do this if we have the research evidence we need to feed into our EBP, our evidence-based approach to practice, where, of course, we'd use our clinical expertise to consider this research evidence alongside our individual service user preferences to work towards this mission of the RCSLTs I just mentioned. Why did the RCSLT choose DLD as a clinical area to target for a PSP? And you might have to explain what a PSP is for me, please. Ah, yes. So that PSP means um, Priority Setting Partnership, or I suppose we're sometimes calling it a Priority Setting Exercise, and sometimes referring to it as a Priority Setting Partnership, because that's the term used by the James Linder Lions, who are the um, really, I suppose, the standard bearers in the UK in this area. In terms of why we chose DLD as a clinical area, I mean, we have 32 different clinical areas listed on our website, and, and of course, there are lots and lots of questions unanswered across these. So to identify where, where to start, we, um, we surveyed all members, asking them to let us know which clinical areas they would like us to focus on, and what they felt were the key uncertainties within these areas. And this gave us five clinical areas to start with, so we had dysphagia, learning disabilities, DLD, autism and aphasia. And we got started with dysphagia and learning disabilities and have published the top 10 research priorities in these areas. And the next area we've targeted was DLD. So this culminated as I'm in us publishing the top 10 research priorities in DLD on October the 18th of this year, which was DLD Awareness Day. 
Katie, I wonder if you can tell me a bit more about how the priority setting exercise was undertaken, please. Yeah, sure. So for the DLD PSP, and actually some of this applies to the previous clinical areas we've done as well, um, we essentially took all the member uncertainties that, so for this time, related to DLD research, and we took them and looked for sort of high-level research that had already been published, Mm -hmm. which may answer some of those uncertainties. Um, Inevitably, there are a lot of questions and uncertainties raised that couldn't be answered by the current evidence base. So... We took those that were sort of outstanding Mm -hmm. um, and themed them into 11 key topics. So this included things like assessment, intervention, service delivery for, say, different stages of life, so an adolescence or adulthood. And then we took those to kind of service user groups that we hoped would then inform on what we should continue taking forward, so to try and narrow down the Mm -hmm. list, essentially. Um, So we took these 11 themes to service users um, and we did workshops with children with DLD and also parents of children with DLD and they essentially did a series of exercises which sort of oriented them to aspects of speech and language therapy, the concept of research and how it's okay for people to have different opinions about what they consider to be the most important um, things about speech and language therapy. So they took these topics and sort of ranked them in order of which they felt were most important to know more about. Um, and in total, we we spoke to around 17 children and 25 parents um, at this stage. Um, what was interesting is that the results were not very divisive. So actually, all of those 11 topics were identified as a priority mm-hmm. by several people. So that meant we took all of those through to the next stage of the process. And the next stage consisted of two multi-stakeholder workshops, which we saw 80 people attend over the two days. And these included speech and language therapists, more parents or carers, but also teachers, teaching assistants, SENCOs. Um, We had a clinical psychologist and sort of other professionals that are involved in the care and um, education of children with DLD. So in the workshops, they were sort of tasked with unpicking those uncertainties a little bit more and to develop them into more focused areas of research. So we use an approach loosely based on the PICO method. So thinking about the population that your question is addressing, um, what outcomes you might use to Mm -hmm. measure um, the research and so on. So after those two workshops, the end result was 60 refined research topics. So this again, was across all of the 11 themes that we originally came up with. And then to sort of go through to the next stage, these 60 topics were put into an online card sorting activity. So participants were asked to sort these 60 items into two piles, so either a priority or not a priority. Okay. And each time someone put a card in the priority pile, it was essentially given a a score, like a point. So it was given one point, and then those that were dismissed as not a priority didn't get any points. So the outcome of this, we actually had uh, over 500 people participate in the online survey um, and the highest scoring research priority that came out of it actually had 382 points. It was clearly considered a real, mm-hmm. a real priority. At the same time, we had another sort of parallel activity for service users, which was a little bit more communication friendly and accessible. And they did, again, a similar thing, sorting into two piles. But instead of the 60 questions, we took those 11 key topics again from the beginning. So each time one of those themes were put in a priority pile, 
all the questions that fell in that theme were given another point. So we kind of collected all the data together and um, added everything up. So including the stuff from the previous workshops, everything was given a score and then we could combine everything and produce a definitive ranking of those 60 topics. Wow, that's very impressive and really great um, service user involvement and across different professions. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, so I think that service user involvement point is, is really key. Um, and the challenge really here was how to meaningfully involve service users who fundamentally have communication needs in a, in a mm -hmm. priority setting process that requires quite a degree of communication skill to participate in. And so that, that really did present us with a challenge and meant we need to adapt the process that is kind of established across the UK for setting priorities and hence the, the different ways, so categorization by, uh, or sorry, prioritization by category mm -hmm. at those two different stages. Firstly, to identify the groups of questions that would go on to uh, be prioritized by professionals and others. And then at the other end to sort of, for the 60 questions that came out, prioritizing them again to give further points. Fascinating, thank you. What were the final top 10 and where can people find out more? Well, so I am aware that this is a podcast and a detailed list of 10 research priority areas is not the most exciting podcast listening. Uh, so just, just bear with me, but I'm gonna read out this list. Uh, I'm gonna take great pains not to elaborate on any of them. It would make the list even longer. Uh, but I would like to say, just, just <clears throat> go to the website to check out the top 10 and find out a bit more detail. Um, you just need to log in, go to the research priority section of the research pages and the information about the DLD priority setting exercise, as well as the top 10, a, a video and some infographics, it's, it's all in there. The top 10 uh, are as follows. I'm assuming you will uh, put in some drum rolls or something as you edit this. Of course. Uh, So the first one is outcomes for individuals with DLD across settings. So for example, language provision or a mainstream school, <coughs> yeah, specifically in relation to cur curriculum access, to language development and social skills. The second was specific characteristics of evidence-based DLD interventions, which facilitate progress towards the goals of an individual with DLD. The third is effectiveness of face-to-face -face versus indirect approach to intervention for individuals with DLD. Number four was effective interventions targeting receptive language for individuals with DLD. And I should say that since the priorities have been published, a Campbell collaboration systematic review has come out, which maybe doesn't completely answer this question because the, the focus of the, of the systematic review is slightly different but does very much speak to this area. So it's great that some of that high-level research is, is already starting to come out in these areas. Uh, the next one is the impact of including speech and language and communication needs or developmental language disorder in teacher training course curriculums and the impact this has on referral rates and on the level of support for children with DLD. Next, we have the impact of SLT interventions for adolescents and adults with DLD on wider functional outcomes, so for example, quality of life, access to the curriculum, social inclusion and mental health. After that, we have implementation of SLT recommendations in the classroom by teaching staff. 
So in terms of confidence levels, capacity, capability, and levels of success. Um, we then have effective ways of teaching self-help strategies to children and young people with DLD. Uh, the ninth we have is the impact of targeted vocabulary interventions on curriculum access for individuals with DLD. And then finally, the impact of teacher training on specific strategies and language support on academic attainment in adolescents with DLD in secondary schools. So a long list and I'm sure impossible to take in just like that, listening to a, to a podcast. So as I said, please do go to the website for information on the top 10. And we also have a bit of information on there about next steps for the RCSLT or some ideas for how you might promote the priorities or, or use the priorities in your work. Katie, we understand that the priority setting partnership work doesn't just stop there. Could you tell us, please, what can members be doing to continue the work? Sure. So there are lots of lots of different ways that members can kind of support this work. Um, essentially, the, the point of research priorities, the next step naturally, is to encourage research in these areas to be planned and carried out, um, and the results of this research disseminated and implemented in everyday practice. So mm -hmm. number one is to do research. Um, but there are ways that we are supporting that process. So we've been disseminating these top 10 questions to a range of different stakeholders. So we're in contact with key research funders, research centres and researchers who, who we know are interested in this area. Um, and we're also actively supporting our members' research proposals that address these top 10. So if that's something that members are thinking about doing or are in the early stages of planning, then do get in touch. We're again actively supporting any dissemination of research that has been done. So Amit mentioned the systematic review, so we'll be putting that on our website and promoting the findings of that to our members. Um, and also we're going to be always offering support to clinicians that are looking to implement the research findings um, into practice. So a range of different ways that you can kind of get involved. Um, members can contribute to different parts of the process. So as I said, we're doing a lot of dissemination work, but that's certainly something that members can do as well. So publicising the top 10 with your SLT teams or your research networks um, and including the patients and service users that you work with. Um, and you, one idea is acting as a hub so you can cascade the top 10 sort of uh, hub days or sends. Um, again, it's all about the networks, talking to people and making use of social media in particular. We do have um, hashtags for when we launch the DLD research priorities, which we'll use again when we come back to it. So that's just hashtag DLD research priorities. And something that we're really keen on is members telling us what they've done as well and then we can promote that work as well so let us know who you've spoken to or put us in touch with other people that you think we should be speaking to about the research priorities other ways um on a kind of more local level is again talking to your service users and their families what do they think about the priorities do they do mm -hmm. they understand them can they be adapted um either in, in the way that they're phrased or do they think differently? Do they have other priorities? Also using the priorities to inform a journal club. So that's something that we're always very keen to encourage members to carry out journal clubs and other sort of EBP activities. So take the paper, take the recent systematic review to your journal club and, and have a think about it in relation to the research priorities. Reviewing an article, again, on DLD research that's already been carried out 
that relates to the dissemination. Um, I'm always looking for contributors to in the journals for bulletins. So, for example, if there is a DLD research paper that you've seen that you think does speak to one of these, get in touch and you can write a really short sort of 200 word summary and that can be um, published in bulletin as well. Another way, I mean, I've kind of already said this, but doing the research, and but when I say about doing research, I don't just mean high level randomised controlled trials that you need lots of research funding for. There are lots of other ways you can do um, work in your clinical practice. So perhaps you, you could do an audit or a service evaluation that's looking at your DLD caseload and your service yeah. delivery or a quality improvement project where perhaps you are looking at different ways of working, so direct or indirect um, therapy and things like that. So again, all those things can, can certainly help address the research priorities. And again, I just want to reiterate that we're always really keen to hear about what our members are doing in relation to this. So please do get in touch if, if that's something that you're doing. Well, that's, I was just going to say that's lots of ways that members can engage. I wonder if you can let uh, members know where they should go to to tell you about all these great things or find out more? Sure. I mean, Amit's already said that the web, we do have web pages that lists everything, but you're always welcome to get in touch with the research team as well. So mm. our email addresses are just our name, so katie.chad at rcslt.org, or you can email amit.kulkarni as well. Um, or uh, we have an inquiry service, if that's easier, that you can contact them through the website and they'll get sent to us as well. Yeah. Um, and also follow us on, we have Facebook and Twitter research pages, so... Mm that's also a really good way to sort of contact us as well. Yeah, and just to reiterate, I think that um, just just get in touch, really. We really want to, as, as Katie is saying, the whole point of this activity is to promote better understanding of these areas. Um, so if you're carrying out projects that, that aim to do that, then we'd really like to know. And just to reiterate what Katie has said, it's not, it's not it doesn't have to be about kind of grand research projects so many of those often that data starts with practice-based research or with as Katie says people carrying out audits or service evaluations that start with that data collection process and then who knows where that will lead that can possibly be the way to um, start to consider the best way to frame the next stage of a research project it could be the the starting point for a collaboration with a with a, a big research team so I think the more we can do to collect data in these areas that have been identified as priorities the better. Fabulous thank you. So what's next for the RCSLT? Well Katie's mentioned some of the next things that we're planning on doing and in a way as, as we've said it's all about just trying to promote research into these areas so we can better understand all 10 and, and in fact are other kind of topic areas within DLD. Uh, really we're working on disseminating the top 10 at the moment and of course this podcast forms part of that. There are lots of other things though so we're, we're writing a report about the top 10 and how we identified them and in the new year this is what we'll be looking to take to potential funders to help them understand the process and, and potentially influence some of their funding calls. Uh, we know that hard science outputs are what researchers really understand. So after the report, the next point of focus will be writing up the, the project for, a, for an academic journal. So these are just some of the next steps we're hoping to take. But as we said, ultimately, really across the organisation, what we'll be doing is, is trying to promote research into these areas. I wondered if you've got any concluding thoughts, Katie and Amit, please. 
Yes, I mean, I think the conclusion for this for me is that, you know, we know there are lots of unanswered questions in DLT and this research priorities exercise has shown us from a multi-stakeholder perspective which of these areas we most urgently need to know about. And, and developing evidence in these areas could really help us enable the best possible lives for people with DLD. So, as we said, the next steps are for the community of people working in this area to carry out the research. And we very much look forward to working with, with researchers, with funders, with SLTs, with other professionals, with people with DLD and their families and carers to support this to happen. And I'm just going to take a quick opportunity to say, um, just to remind everyone that this has not been a project of the RCSLT alone. There's been lots of our members who have been very committed to helping us mm -hmm. in the working group, in the work stream. We had some fantastic clinicians carry out some patient and public involvement workshops. And just to say thank you to everyone that has done that and for sharing the survey and completing the survey and sort of even retweeting is that's all really helpful to help us get the message out. So thank you again to all the members that have, have been involved in the process. Okay, and I'd like to say a big thank you to Amit and Katie for today's brilliant summary of the project and, and what members and the RCSLT will be doing next and can do next. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. you.